Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here. And I would like to say that uh, those things that you had heard listed were not done by me. It was by God. A, and God's using my wonderful wife, Connie. And uh, I think you probably all know by now that your spouse makes you holy. (laughs) You make each other holy. You, really, you know. And you know how you make make you holy is they point out things in you you don't like to have to. (laughs) (laughs) Connie has been a wonderful wife and a great, great support and guide and Helping me to see things I don't see. And I am grateful to God for her. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, honey, very much. Uh, As you noticed in the uh, report, I served as a pastor much longer than I have a superintendent. And the reality is, I think more like a pastor than I do a superintendent. And I'm sorry about that, but that is what it is. I just, I, I love people. I love the church. And, and uh, that's, that's what's important to me. And in that light, I want to share some things today. I'm not, I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to share some nuggets that I think can be very helpful to you in building the relationship between a pastor and a church. Now, the Bible uses various word pictures of the relationship of a pastor and a church. Uh, one of them is the one that we probably all have heard the most of, and that is being a shepherd. God, he's our shepherd, and we are his sheep. And there's another word picture where of the marriage. There's, there's other ones, but I just I want to especially speak today on this marriage piece. There's the husband and the wife, and they together become one, and they become more together than they were a separate. And... And, and in that light, you have in every case, there is, a, there is love and respect, but there's also an authority figure in, in whatever picture it is. And so I'm going to take those word pictures, and I believe that's going to be meaningful to you and some things you may uh, have not really thought of before. You want to apply it, and you're going to find it. It works in a marriage just like it does in this. I need to first point out the... Uh, term pastor that we hear quite often is about the role of that a person serves. It's not a title associated with education or some ecclesiastical, which means church, uh, accomplishment. That's not what it's about. In the book of Ephesians, when he, Paul writes to uh, the church there at Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 11, and what he's talking about there, he lists uh, five different uh, offices. I refer to them as offices, different uh, spiritual leadership roles. I'm just going to narrow down to the one of the pastor because they all apply, but I just want to focus on that today. Uh, in, the, in that p- place... The gift of is, uh, the pastor is seen as a gift. You got a gift from things. God gives gifts. This is a gift God gives the church. Now, in that sense, Jason is not a pastor because of his knowledge base. 
He's not a pastor because of his experience base, although he has both. That's not the point. He is a pastor because the Holy Spirit saw fit to put special grace on him. Your board saw that special grace on him, identified it, and they presented him to you and you identified it as well by electing him. Now, what you're doing in electing him, you're not really saying, you know, I vote him in. You're saying, I think that's who God wants. That's who the king wants. And so you need to understand that, especially in the days ahead, because there's going to come times and it's going to happen. It happens in your marriage. There's going to come times when Pastor Jason doesn't do what you prefer him to do. And, you know, when you're married, if your spouse doesn't do what you prefer, you usually prefer to tell them. (laughs) Let me just say this. Since he is a gift from God, don't go to him. Go to his boss. Okay? And you pray, God, straighten this dude out. (laughs) Or God, straighten this dude out. The bottom of the line is, as you begin to take it in a matter of prayer, it's going to make a relationship around here so much even better than what you can imagine. It's the same thing is true in a marriage. If you look at your spouse as a gift from God, rather than tell him or her, I prefer this, go to the boss. He gave you the gift. And say, God, help my wife, my husband, to see things like I see them. No. (laughs) (laughs) To see things like you see them and help me to see the same thing. Okay? And if that happens in a home, the children are going to see a different atmosphere, feel a different atmosphere, and there's going to be life-givingness in that home. Because there's prayer covering all the time. Amen. Now, that's verse 11 of chapter 4. I'm going to look at these next two verses because they're very significant as well. Chapter uh, 4, verse 12 and 13. There it gives the pastors, the other ones too, keep in mind, but I'm looking at the pastor, the pastor's job description. There's one single thing that God wants and expects and is going to hold a pastor accountable for. That one thing is to equip the saints. The saints to do what? The work of the ministry. Why? So that the body can be built up. It's not a matter of him building up the body or her building it. If it's a female pastor, whatever it is, it's got to be built up. But it doesn't get built up by the pastor. It gets equipped by the pastor and built up by the body. And as the body does what they're supposed to do in the king's work, they grow into spiritual maturity. But so does the church body. And so does the world around because God is working through them. So in that light, let me just say, here's how much you have to grow. And this is the job description that Pastor Jason has to do and the other staff has to do to bring them to this level. Notice what it says there in verse 12. 
to, until we all come in such unity in our faith, knowledge of the God's Son, that we will be mature physically. Mature in the Lord. Now notice this. Catch these words. Measuring up to the what? And complete standard of Christ. My grandson, the youngest one I have is five. We were talking about how the boys are growing. He says an older brother that just turned 12. The, the thing that is one's quite a bit taller than the other. So the little one, he, uh, we were talking about size. So he goes into the closet and gets out a tape measure and he wanted me to measure him. See, if he's near tall as his brother. You know what I mean? Now get this. If you're going to measure yourself according to the full standard of Christ, how big is that? That's pretty big. Now, you're not going to get there very easy. But I'll tell you what, that's what God has appointed a pastor to do, help you get there by equipping you to do the work of the ministry. You need that kind of help. Just like I need my wife to help me become what I am. You need a pastor to become what you need to be. By the same token, he needs you to be what you are so that he can become what God wants him to be. Does that make sense? Now, I, I want you to just think about that verse for a little bit longer. Did you notice in that God-given assignment, there's nothing about and make the people comfortable. <laughs> no. In fact, if there's anything, he's going to make you uncomfortable. Not because he's trying to be mean. But you know, the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting us, isn't he? And he's constantly sanctifying. He's constantly changing us. So don't be surprised when Pastor Jason is preaching or teaching or trying to get you to do something, you're saying, oh, that's not I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, guess what? That's probably what you need to do in order to what? Grow up and help others to grow in that same way. I'm going to talk a little bit about leadership because a pastor is in a leadership role. I mean, just hit pause. I'm going to get a little word picture here. A woman is designed by God to find someone who is going to become her knight in shining armor. Yeah, well, I looked for that, but I couldn't find one. <laughs> the picture, the point is, that desire is inside of them. But Adam and Eve sinned. They messed things up. So you throw out the trash, you know, you know what, 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 what happens is something changes inside of a woman. She still wants him to be that knight in shining armor. But if you look in the Hebrew language of, in Genesis there, he's talking about how the woman is going to test the husband to make sure he's growing and that he's connected to the king so that they can go through the storms of life. Get it? Now, in that leadership role, 
let me let me say this very clearly, very clearly. Leaders, whether you're female or male, doesn't make any difference. Leaders do not confuse authority with tyranny. Tyranny is the weakest, the poorest form of leadership there is. That's not where you want to go, and especially as a pastor. Leadership is a responsibility. Leadership is a responsibility to serve. And that's true of a pastor as well. In that sense, Jason, you are now being entrusted by the king with a responsibility that is heavy and bigger than you are. But he just wants you to be a servant leader. Serving the body according to what he is guiding you to lead them in. But Jason, don't be too surprised if they test you. <laughs> and they're not trying to defeat you. They're trying to help you grow stronger and say, no, I've connected. To, I just talked to the king. Does that make sense? Help him to understand that and you to understand it is very important. In that light, I just want to passage, read a passage that is from Acts chapter 20 that is especially for Jason. I've got another one for the, for, the, for the congregation or the bride. So guard yourselves. And by the way, you need to guard yourselves. There's enough guys have fallen down and bruised a whole lot of fruit in the process. Guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, his church, not yours, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know the false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave but and not spare the flock. And here's the part is really hard. Some men from among your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order, for selfish reasons, in order to draw a following to themselves. So Jason, watch out. Don't be on the skeptical. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about keep your ears and eyes open and say, God, what's going on here? God, what's going on here? And let him guide you. Now, he talks about in here about, in this that we read, he says, then feed and shepherd the flock, God's flock. One of the first things that any believer needs to do, I don't care, uh, let, me, let me just say that there are some believers that have been believers for 50 years and they still haven't got it. So I'm saying this is something that needs to be done first. And that is to learn to know the difference between their own voice and when I say that, I'm talking about their mind. How many times did you say, I think this is the truth. I don't care what you think. Or I feel this is right. This, I just got a feeling about this. Well, that, that's nice. You got a feeling about that, but that doesn't make it right. We've got to learn to know the difference between our voice and the voice of other people who are always going to tell you what to do. Know the difference between those voices and God's whisper. 
Jason, you have just gone through this process. I'm proud of you for how you've processed that. But you had to hear God's voice. Same thing with Krista. Same thing with Raphael and Raphael and his family. But Jason, not everybody in the church really knows the difference between God's voice and their own voice. And I want to I challenge you. Make that your first and foremost assignment in helping people feed the flock, in feeding the flock. Because then when they read the Bible, God's word comes alive because the whisper comes. And when the whisper comes, you're energized. So teach them those kind of things. Now a word for the church. It's taken from 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey sometimes. <laughs> Obey your spiritual leaders and what's the next word? Do what they say. Really? Why? Special word the kids are always asking. Why? Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to the board. No, they're accountable to? Now, God may use the board. Don't misunderstand me. But it has to come from... He's accountable to God. That last part is really interesting because it's now it's talking about you. If you were making it painful and instead of joyful, that would certainly not be in your benefit. Now, how do you do that? Let me, let me say something that I say to couples when I marry them, and it's just as true in what we're talking about today. I tell them, and I'm telling you, each of you will be committing yourselves to an imperfect person. And all of you said, Amen. <laughs> Those of you who've been married long enough, you know that that spouse you married is a wonderful person. At first, when you, got, when you first get married, you know, I, I, I stood in front of a lot of them and they got stars in their eyes. They can't even see themselves. But pretty soon the stars fall out. And you find that you've married an imperfect person. So now you go find another perfect person? I don't think so. That is true for a pastor in a church. Jason still bleeds red blood like everybody else. He's human. He is imperfect just like you are. And Jason, they are just as imperfect as you are. Seeing that is a challenge because when you're talking about obeying, there's two problems that come up. One is the independence. I want to do it my way. You have to understand, I know better than you. That's all how it, you know. That is, makes it hard to obey when I sit in that passage. The other thing is the imperfections. You see. Let me give you a little tip that I think can really be of help to you. If you can separate the difference between Jason and his family's humanity, his natural gifting, 
his personality quirks. Separate that from his anointing. You will be well served. But the same thing applies with your spouse. If you see them as a gift from God and they're human, it looks a whole lot different when you're touching the anointing or the humanity. When you find there's things you don't, that he's doing that you don't prefer, keep in mind part of that may be his humanity. I mean, just because they like to do the toothpaste one way and you don't, so what, you know? That's his humanity. But when he's leading and guiding and speaking from God's word, don't criticize, don't touch God's anointing. Make sense? I, uh, I think of, to understand the difference between humanity and the, the anointing, Samson was a judge who was anointed by God. And, you know, we, we all read, remember stories about Samson, you know, moving the gate and killing and all the stuff that he, he had power to do, God's anointed power. David was a king, anointed as a king. He did incredible things. I mean, that guy is so talented, he was running over board with talent. But both of those guys with that anointing, how many know that they had a lot of humanity problems? <laughs> now, the, uh, my point, I use it as extreme point, uh, cases. I just simply want to say, know the difference and don't touch the anointing. But be free to talk about natural giftings, the personality quirks you can laugh at, but don't touch the anointing. I know from 40 years of pastoring as a senior pastor, I know that a great relationship between a church and a pastor is a lot like the relationship in a good marriage. It requires a great deal of personal investment to make it happen. But the dividends are really good. There's a joy and you're able to go through the worst of storms. So let me just say these things that I shared, mark them down, put them in your head and heart but apply them to your marriage as well. Now, to position this relationship between the pastor, Jason, and the Good News uh, Church family, to make it strong, I'm going to ask for Jason and Carissa to come to the platform. And it would be good if the board could come at the same time. Now, I'm going to, first of all, begin with Jason and asking him to make a commitment to you, okay? So, Jason, by the grace of God, you can't do it by yourself. It's going to be him. It's going to help you. By the grace of God, will you commit yourself to this church family to be the servant leader that will be equipping them to grow the church and grow into spiritual maturity themselves. Will you commit yourself to that end so that they will be fruitful 
in growing and spiritual fruit of spiritual lives. If you will, say that I will. You as a church family, would you please stand? I'm going to ask you to do the same. I'm going to ask you, will you do this by the grace of God? Do you as a church family of Good News Church, by the grace of God, commit yourselves to praying and inspiring Pastor Jason and Carissa and Commit yourself to following the leadership the Holy Spirit gives him in equipping you to do God's work so that you and others and those in this world that aren't saved yet will also grow to spiritual maturity. If, that, if you'll commit yourself to that, will you say, I will? I will. Ooh. That's good stuff. I wish all of them would always do that. (laughs) I'm going to ask you now, would you just please kneel? Ask the board to gather around, and I want you to lay hands on them. Ask you as a congregation to engage with us. Here's how you can do that. I want you to... Put your hand out. Now that sounds kind of strange for some of you, but just keep in mind, you're engaging with this prayer. And I want you to put your hand out towards them. The board is your hand, literally. Now your hand's extended towards the connection. And I'm going to ask you personally to pray for them. Will you do that right now in your own words and all close? Okay. You pray now in your own words for them as your pastor. Heavenly Father, we together now call upon you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to anoint, to ordain, and to consecrate Jason and Carissa to the task, the responsibility of leading this family, equipping this family so that they will grow And that the community around will grow because they become believers because of this family relationship. Because your anointing is flowing through them. May you anoint them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Now, Jason is going to pray for you as a servant leader. Hear his heart as he prays for you. Then he's going to be sharing some words. So uh, why don't you pray now and then we'll let the guys go.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity, God, and thank you for this body, for this church. And God, we know that you've called us to be transformed, that we may bring transformation. Pray, God, that we would be a church that listens well, that we hear the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we trust in the Holy Spirit to guide. We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see need and opportunity everywhere that we look, God, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that we, you, in our heart, God, that we would be able to, to love well and lead well and serve well, God. And that it will always be for the benefit of the other person and for your kingdom and for your glory. I pray for every person in this room that they would walk into and discover that personal relationship with you yes, and then yes, what they're yes, on yes, this earth yes. for God. And that we would see the fulfillment, God, and this would impact generations to come based on just the mark of obedience in this place, surrender and trust in this place. God, we need you. We desire that this is a place, God, that people know who the Lord is and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, we, we desire to see families and nations transformed. We bless you and we trust you. We look to you in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. You guys may be seated. Just wanted to take a little bit of time to, to share just some thoughts and wanted to thank, um, pastor Bob, I call you pastor to me. That's a higher than district superintendent. It's easier to say too, by the way. And then miss Connie as well for being here. Uh, we wanted to thank just the board and our staff and you as a congregation for your kind words and, and encouragement um, as Chris and I uh, have been in this transition process and you guys are our family. And then uh, I wanted to thank Pastor Walt and Carrie who gave uh, two kind of green individuals an opportunity to grow um, in in their calling and, and, and their gifting and, and so very appreciative of them as well. And then my family will be here in the third service and very grateful um, just for, for them in our lives as well. Uh, forgive me for reading today, but I felt like I wanted to make sure that it was communicated properly. Moses had five excuses when God asked him to go to Egypt and to free God's people. He, he said, I'm the wrong person. Uh, I'm not ready. I might fail. I don't have the skills necessary and they won't listen. And the one answer that was consistent from God to Moses was, I will be with you. And this is the same response I heard God whisper to my heart as well in this season. And this is the most important thing that any leader could ever hear is the fact that God would be with us. Uh, this has been the craziest 12 years of our lives. But because of our path, I have come to see three stages of calling in our lives. And I, I have also come to discover that there's patterns to God. So many people are worried that they are going to miss it. They're calling. Maybe some are desperate to get started. Others are disappointed that life hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would. I hope this encourages you. The first stage is the beholding stage. It is where God becomes real. He's more than an idea or a concept. There's revelation of who he is. 
who he really is. And this changes everything about your world. You begin to discover who you really are because of that. Your identity. You are not what you did, but loved through the perfect forgiveness of Jesus. You begin to find your worth and you begin to find your value. Jesus changes everything. And you will never be able to see the world the same way again. The second stage of that is the becoming phase. You begin to connect your life with his call. Life is more than just work or money or fame. We serve his kingdom purposes in all we do and how we live. We want our lives to have meaning and we find true meaning in Jesus. So naturally, we want to do something for him. There is this process of discovery of how you would love to serve God in some way or what change you would love to bring to the world around you to honor him. As a Christian, you want to make a difference. You are being transformed and you want others to know about this transformation and you want to see that transformation in all aspects of life. You begin to discover the hints of a dream in your heart that he placed there in seed form. God never gives you a dream that's immediately going to happen. He always gives it in a very small seed so that you grow into it and that you're ready for it. Most of the time, it is not clear. It's just beyond your understanding. And God begins to do this work of sanctification. Pastor Bob mentioned that. And it's a church word that means God gets in your business and he goes to work on you. We are all prideful, egotistical, and selfish. And your spouse knows it. We make the dream, calling, or purpose about us. What we think or what we want to do while telling people it's from God. God knows this and God goes to work and we begin to change from the inside out. So that we see the world, people, and this calling and purpose and dreams from his point of view. We are no longer owners of our lives, but we're stewards. We're no longer owners of our gifts and our talents and our abilities. We're stewards. And it's always for the benefit of the world around us. We learn to lay what we love on the altar and we trust God with our future and our results. We learn to be faithful and faith filled, even when no one is watching and there are no accolades. We continue to discover who God is and our place in him and self, although stubborn, begins to die. What was once ours is being pl placed in the hands of the one who created us, loves us and died for us. And we learn to live palms up to what God wants rather than living for ourselves and what we think we deserve. The becoming phase is all about surrender and trust, even when we don't always understand. And the last phase is the bestowing phase. And it's the place where surrendered hearts and God's plan meet. You've been going through the process and now you're beginning to see the fruit. It is the place that our hearts want to serve God his plans, and his people no matter what. And it is for the benefit of the people around us. We give our lives away 
And we learn to love God and others unselfishly. This is the place in life where we begin to look back and we can see the hand of God leading us all along. Because sometimes in faith, you don't always know what God is doing. And so there's a trust factor. You see this pattern happen in the lives of Moses and David and Joseph and Jesus and Paul. You see the same pattern in modern figures like Martin Luther or Mother Teresa. Where God takes an individual, transforms them to serve and bring change to the world around them. And I believe this is the plan for every individual in this place and every person that comes to Christ. I can remember 13 years ago sitting on the couch in Brooksville, Florida with my wife watching America's Home Makeover. Anybody familiar with that show? That one clap tells us that they're familiar. So there's a group of people that this, uh, they're, they're builders. They, they bring change to houses. They, they make them better. And they would get like a hundred volunteers to come in and they have a plan and they go into this place and there may be a special needs child and they go in and they did redo everything. And there are all these people working together and they make, they make the house better. And it was just, I would cry at the end of every show. I would cry and I'd go, God, I'd love to be a part of something like this. And I, I, I can't hardly even use a hammer. So I knew it wasn't going to be a house. And we were out of ministry. And to be honest with you, we were disillusioned by ministry. And I remember saying a prayer. I said, God, if you want me to go back into ministry, I'll do it. And two months later, we would get a call out of the blue from Omaha, Nebraska to come up here to, to pastor. Most people connect me with the idea of purpose and passion. And they are close to my heart. You have to understand, for me, you're the inheritance of the Lord. And you becoming all that God has designed is important, but not only you becoming all that you can be, it's what you do with your life that's God's inheritance as well. So these things are really important to me because I feel like they belong to the Lord. I know who I was and where I came from, but God redeemed my life. And I want everyone to know God. I want them to know their identity. I want them equipped for purpose to bring transformation to the world around them. But more than any other prayer in my life, I've asked God that I may know him. It's the prayer that I've prayed. More than any other. And my desire as a pastor and leader is Psalm seventy-eight, seventy-two. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. The Bible also tells us that David fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. And that is my prayer for every person in this room as well. There was a consistent prayer that I prayed during this season of discovery to find out what God wanted us to do. I prayed, God, I ask for wisdom to lead serve, listen, and plan. I asked for courage to step beyond comfort, make difficult decisions, and to move forward when I wanted to shrink back. I asked for thick skin to handle the criticisms that will inevitably come. 
and a tender heart that I may love well. Our desire is to see God's will happen at Good News Church. Twelve years ago, we came to this church as young adult pastors, but we have always desired to serve in whatever capacity was needed. Chris and I want to honor God and do the best we can to love and serve the people around us. This is still our heart for good news. We are so humbled and honored to lead and serve beside you in this church into the next season. Thank you, Good News Church. pray for all of you now. Can we just bow our heads because I believe God wants to speak and do in your hearts before we leave. Heavenly Father, some of us talk a lot about religion, theology, doctrine. We don't always live it. Lord, help us to somehow come to a place where we live what we believe. And God, for this church family, I ask God that the fruit of Pastor Jason's leadership will be very evident, not only in each believer that's here, but in each believer that comes. Lord, I know that as a person grows spiritually, they will produce fruit. If they're not producing fruit, I'm not sure they're very mature. Help us to see, Lord, the growth that needs to happen in our own lives so that we can be, in fact, producing 30, 60, and 100-fold in our own lives. And Lord, may that mean that this church multiplies over and over and over again in reaching the lost, not only in Omaha, but in the surrounding area around Omaha. May the church become the church that you want it to be. May your Holy Spirit empower every person and empower Jason to lead them. May this empower this pastoral staff to lead them in the way that you want them to go. And Lord, may the joy of the Lord be their strength. We give them to you and we thank you for your anointing that does come and your support. It's not all about us. It's about you. So we'll let you do the work through us. We surrender to you. Amen and amen. Amen.